0: Hey guys, welcome to the 41st episode of the Indian Market Story. As you know, we're here to talk about India's journey to a $7 trillion economy, which means a $5,000 per capita income. But that's a really faraway goal, and we need to see how we're progressing towards that goal on a regular basis. Now, as you might know, India's financial calendar runs from 1st April on a given year to 31st March of next year. And four times in that calendar, which is every three months, all the major listed companies in this country report their results. What are these results? It's their earnings, which is where they've earned their money, where they've spent their money, and how much profit they've made, and much, much more detail. It's an opportunity for us to evaluate the progress of this country's economy on a more granular and consistent basis. And it's, a, it's an extremely important piece of data to check and improve your investments. And we're here with our returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta. So could you tell us a little bit about the importance and the impact of earnings season?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on your show again, Varun. And there's a very old saying in the markets, that markets are slaves of earnings. Which means that whatever the noise around is there about who's buying, who's selling, and the news flow which comes through from time to time, the real long-term indicator of the health of the market is in the underlying earnings of the company. So from that point of view, earnings are very important. Thankfully, every, every quarter we have the companies reporting their earnings. And when the earnings come through not only do the companies report their numbers in terms of sales, profits, but a lot of other qualitative factors also are disclosed to the investors and therefore investors and analysts can take a more informed view of the company and its immediate prospects. So we're recording here on the
0: 14th of February and hopefully our viewers will be able to see this by 16, 17th February or so. Uh, and, and I mean this information will be relevant for you know, about three months until the next earnings season. Yeah. Um, but how long is the earnings season? So how many companies report results? When did it start, When is it
1: end? Could you give you know a little bit more more information on what this is? So every listed company uh, on the main board, not the SME, every listed company has to declare its quarterly results. And the results have be declared within 45 days of the closure. But for the March quarter, it is 60 days. Okay, typically it takes about 8-10 days for a company to kind of gather its financials and present it. So the first earnings start to trickle from uh, the 8th or 9th of the following month. And bulk of the results, as you know, will come towards the last 2-3 days, which is in our case 13, 14th uh, Feb is when most of the results will start to trickle in because that's the deadline uh, for companies to report. And um, I think that, uh, you know, this clubbing of earnings does tend to create a great deal of volatility also in stocks. Because you are getting the earnings, you're analyzing it and you are reacting to it. Right. So there could be while the while the index may not show so much of volatility, there's a great deal of volatility as far as individual stocks prices are concerned. So here we're talking about the third quarter of FY
0: 2024. And so if I understand correctly, FY2024, as you mean 324, 2324 means that from 1st of April 2023 to 31st March of 2024 is the financial year, and Q3 is the October November and December quarter so October November and December of 2023
1: that's the period for which we are discussing the results that's right the results for that period are reported uh, in the month of uh, jan feb march means sorry jan and feb up to 14 feb okay
0: great so now that we've set the context for what we are discussing uh, how has result season been
1: yeah if i can just say the result season this time has been very disappointing I mean, uh, every, every earnings season, I'm all geared up. I'm all charged up to see what the numbers are. I'm mean, excited because always there's a great deal of news flow. But this time around, the earnings season, I've been very, very disappointing. And many factors, of course, which we'll discuss in this uh, podcast. But if I were to name one single reason for my disappointment, it would be base effect. So what happens is that companies are growing gradually. They're becoming bigger and bigger. And when they report their earnings, they obviously compare it with the same period last year. And uh, because they're growing faster and faster and bigger and bigger, when you do a comparative on a year-on-year basis or on a quarter-on-quarter basis, uh, because the last few quarters have been so good, so the base effect is coming into place, which is why when you do on a comparative, when you do comparison, it doesn't look that great. Although on a steady state basis, companies are doing well, but from an investor's perspective, for us, we want growth. And definitely we have seen in this quarter that growth has slowed down for a wide spectrum of industries. Okay, so why don't we just broadly go through those industries. And uh, there's five key
0: industries for our economy that we've identified. So six key industries for the economy that we've identified. FMCG, that's a really good indicator of base consumption in the country. Banking and finance, because that's a really good indicator of the country's overall economic and financial health. Auto, because that's a really good indicator of consumer discretionary spending. Pharma, because that's a really critical industry that's exported and created a lot of value. IT services, because obviously it's a huge uh, employer as well as exporter and money earner. And uh, capital goods, because capital goods is the infrastructure and the investment of the country. So I think these six sectors should do a really good overall view of what's happening in the country.
1: So do we want to go sector by sector and just broadly outline how it's been? Yeah, that's right. These sectors altogether, I think, would cover 70, 80% of the market capitalization. Uh, for BSE and NSE, so from that point of view, uh, when we discuss these sectors, you'd have covered the entire more or the entire earning season.
0: Pretty much. So let's start with FMCG. Um, the the core, from what I could understand uh, of of the results, is that there's been a slowdown in growth, particularly a slowdown in volume growth, and the value growth has been really flat. Is my understanding of the situation correct? Or do you want to expand on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely correct. The actual volume growth has come down for FMCG across many, many categories and with the exception of something like soft drinks and ice cream, by and large we are seeing a mid-kind of a single-digit growth rate for a whole host of uh, FMCG companies. But Varun, what we have noticed is that a lot of the FMCG companies have reported good bottom line growth and bottom line growth has come because of lower raw material expenses. A lot of the benefit of the raw material expenses reduction has been kept by the companies in their profit margins and some of the companies like HUL, Nestle have invested those savings into higher advertising spends. But you know, end of the day, we need our companies to grow solid on a top line basis because earnings growth driven by lower raw material costs can only do so much end of the day you know raw material prices cannot go even further down from these levels yeah and you have to have the earnings uh, top line to start driving the earnings forward yeah until that doesn't happen i would say that the earnings for fmcg companies would remain to be quite slow at this point of time also a lot of the categories Barone, have become pretty much mature and many of the fmcg companies have really gone deep into the rural markets and that particular market also has been pretty much covered by a lot of fmcg companies so that incremental growth is becoming very challenging for these companies. And it's not that valuations are cheap. So from that point of view, I would say that FMCG has been very disappointing. Two exceptions. One is ice cream category, that is a company called Vadilal Industries. And second is cold drinks, a company called Varun Beverages. I think these two companies came with a good set of numbers. The rest of them, very disappointing from our perspective. I think that's good. And
0: for for our viewers that want a more in-depth view on Vadilal Industries or Varun Beverages, we have some videos out right now. Uh, feel free to go check it out. We'll try and link it over here. Uh, but you know, one thing we've even done a podcast on FMCG, where I think you and I thought differently about the future prospects of uh, FMCG's growth. Um, but I want to try and circle back on that mm. to have a final view on where we think FMCG is going to go, not just
1: over the next quarter, but over the next year. Um, so that's a good thing. I think we should. Uh, we have done uh, podcasts on all of these sectors, so this is a good way to recap. And reassess our view on the sector. Yeah. So our view on the sector of FMCG remains neutral to negative. I'm not mincing any words over here. And as I told you in an earlier podcast, that what drives a stock price higher is growth, growth and growth. And that's missing in the entire FMCG sector. I think the entire consumption pattern in the country is changing. And now the new consumption powerhouses are entertainment, hospitality, medical uh, spends on medical, uh, travel. You know those sort of things apparels retail that's where the new consumption is and you talk about the gdp growth rate yeah so typically you know these sort of uh, these new age so-called new age industries from our perspective industry perspective will tend to grow faster than soaps detergents, toothpaste heroin.
0: yeah that's no it's interesting so i was thinking that even if fmcg continues to grow it's unlikely to beat the pace of fundamental income growth in the country because sure a company can premiumize me right It can add more and more premium products uh, and I can buy those premium products. But
1: I'm never going to buy premium products at a pace that's faster than my income growth. And population growth also. No? Because at the end of the day, these are personal consumption products. If population is growing at 1-2%, how much can you expect the volume of these companies to grow? I
0: think the only maybe
1: uh, in this would be is if somehow they, the FMCG companies
0: manage to convince a larger segment of the population to invest more heavily in you know, personal health and hygiene products and stuff like that. like Things like toothpaste, soaps, shampoos, they're available everywhere. They're not used as frequently at the top of the income pyramid as they are at the bottom of the income pyramid. If that changes, we may continue to
1: see some volume. I think that's the aspiration of all FMCG managements. And of course, they want to take you up the value chain. Alright, so let's move on. Let's move on to one of your pet industries, banking and finance. How have their results been? <laughs> it's my pet industry, but I'm really disappointed with the numbers. Uh, Be it uh, HDFC or ICICI or even NBFC like Bajaj Finance. Uh, I mean, numbers are okay. Nothing to, you know, kind of startle you and, you know, energize you that, okay, I'll increase my exposure to this sector. And the real reason for that, Varun, is that liquidity is tight in the market. Uh, You know, RBI has been consistently trying to follow a tight liquidity policy first by increasing interest rates and thereafter sucking liquidity out. Uh, because they want to keep inflation under control. Right now, we are still at about 5%, 5% there about inflation. And ideally, they want to bring it to 4% or below. So, liquidity is tight. And liquidity, as you know, is the real raw material for these uh, lenders, these uh, you know, credit companies, banks and BFC. So, if liquidity is tight, then they are paying a higher price for the money that they borrow. And also, they are not able to then grow as fast because they don't have enough of firepower to grow their lending book. So that's what's affecting these companies. And what the common thread I saw is that the pre-provisioning profits, which is before you make provisions for bad debts, that has flattened out. Flattened out. So like it's like low single digit, lower than last quarter, 10-12% type of growth. But the bottom line growth has come because the provision amount is lower, significantly lower. And that will not last. Provisions also will start to inch up. And base effect will come over there as well. Okay, let me slow this down because that was way, way, like... I barely understood it. If I
0: barely understood, the viewers definitely okay, didn't can understand it. Let's, let's, let's go way really slower. Right. Sorry for being so technical, but we can go ahead. Yeah, so provisioning is basically bad loans, right? That's right. So when you say pre-provisioning loan growth, sorry, pre-provisioning bottom line growth has gone up.
1: That means before bad loans, the profits are going up. Let's reboot. Yeah. So typically think of a bank or an NBFC. They're borrowing money at interest rates 7-8% and they're lending it at 10-12%, 18%, whatever. So what their the their borrowing cost and the lending uh, their borrowing cost and lending cost is the profit which is the revenue which they earn net interest net margin. interest margin so far so good net interest income is the net interest income which they earn what they what yeah. they earn minus what they earn. so the net interest income is flattening out okay okay the net interest income is growing at eight ten percent or thereabout then their expenses are there personal expenses technology expenses sure. So those expenses also have gone up sure. because of inflation and therefore after the net interest income minus all their administrative costs, we come to what is called as like the pre-provisioning profit. Okay. P P O P technical term. So the pre-provisioning profit is stagnating, has flattened out when you compare it with the last December quarter. But the actual net profit of the companies has gone up because after this pre-provisioning profit, you have to make the provisions for bad debts, and thankfully for India. The NPA cycle, the bad debt cycle has not worsened at all. It is pretty much stable. So what they are doing is that the banks and NBCs are making lesser provision because bad debts have gone lower. Fair enough. But how much? I mean, so the provisioning which they have made is coming to very, very minimal or base yeah. level. But when I look ahead one year from now, when they compare, when you go to December twenty-four. The provisioning is not going to remain as low as it is because their lending book also has gone up. So provisioning costs also will go up. So bad loans will go up. Yes, Okay. Yes, normal business, nothing normal, unusual. No, normal business size, the bad loans will go up, they'll go down, they'll go up, they'll go down. Right. right now they're down, later they'll go back up yes. again. But a very important point to note over here is that when we analyze banking companies, we are very keen to know what the growth of the pre-provisioning profits. Has that gone down or gone up? And in this quarter across the board, Lenders, we are finding that their pre-provisioning profits certainly has slowed down. Few exceptions, only two were on. I think ICICI Bank is an exception from the banking side. And Bajaj Finance and Chola Mandalam are the two exceptions. Where their pre-provisioning profits also have remained pretty strong. So one needs to make a note of that. Okay.
0: So I want to try and stick on HDFC for a second because I have some numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, the year on year profit is up 34%. And their net interest income is also up 24%.
1: Uh, and somehow I'm not able to make this so you haven't but, looked at the pre-provisioning profit that would be significantly okay. so this growth. is all mostly just the provisioning effect yes. the pre-provisioning profit for HDFC bank has been flat flat or low single digit if I would Got say so. it. and that's true across the board and more so with PSU banks also which were the darlings of the market there right. also we have noticed that uh, you know these uh, pre-provisioning profits have, have kind of stagnated in India 8-10% growth is stagnation yeah. right? no I understand, I understand yeah. I understand.
0: So I have a I have a follow on question with this, right? You mentioned that the core problem for banks is liquidity is tied in there, for they are in the, in the position that they're in. Um, over the next year and a half, two years, I think Fed interest rate cuts are baked in, right? That's to come. And as that comes, one would expect, you know, RBI might also decide that they want to cut, you know, fifty basis points, hundred basis points over the course of a year or
1: two years. So a year from now, do you see the situation for banking and finance companies improving? Absolutely, you know, Varun, you and I are both very bullish on India, right? And if you're bullish on India, you can't be bearish on banks. Because banks and credit industry are the ones that grease the wheels of the economy. So if industry is doing well, uh, personal uh, consumption is growing gradually, big ticket items are being purchased, real estate is doing well, auto will do well, then banks and NBFCs will also do well. It's just, I think that is a transient moment in their journey where they feel that because of tight liquidity conditions, they're not able to raise uh, deposits and they have had to raise the interest that they pay on the deposits and that being uh, seen in the results. So it's not that the prospects have become bad. Same with NBFC. It's not that, see, I would clarify that although I'm disappointed with the earnings season, it's not that the medium to long-term earnings growth have been compromised. Okay. So we need to put that in perspective. Yeah. That's, that's an important perspective.
0: So I guess I'll try and put this, I'll ask a follow-up question. Given that the results have been a bit of a disappointment, uh, I, how is this, has the stock, have the stocks performed
1: badly? And is this a good moment to add more? And we'll take that question for another time because, you know, the thing is that stocks have not done badly because a lot of money flow is coming in. And I think that uh, still we are analyzing the numbers, they've come in so thick and fast. So still, I think it's not yet completely sunk in. But from whatever I've seen and whatever reports I've read, many, many earnings are being downgraded more than they're being upgraded. Okay. And eventually that will reflect in the stock prices. Okay, let's
0: move to something that's not India-focused. Now, IT. It's a great employment generator and value generator, but it doesn't derive much revenue from the India growth story. So how is their results been And what's their outlook going forward?
1: So I think software per se, you know, there were very low expectations in the market and that's, if I can just say one line, you know, expectations also play a key role on how the results are received and largely the expectations for IT industry were very low and these companies just about met or slightly improved on the expectation, which is why stocks like Infosys, Wipro, HCL Tech rallied a little bit after the numbers came out. But end of the day, when you do a comparative analysis, it's still pretty much stagnation for these companies and they are of course faced with a lot of uh, uh, macroeconomic factors and headwinds over there sure i think after the fed announcing that they're not going to uh, increase any interest rates and you can expect three to five interest rate cuts over the next 12 months the sentiment in the u.s economy european economy has improved but and also the uh, kind of engagements with uh, software companies that their clients have had has improved but it's yet to reflect in the numbers of these companies and December typically is a is a kind of a seasonally soft quarter because of holiday season, so there are a lot of furloughs also. So all of these put together on a on a kind of a stand. I mean, if you just analyze the numbers, uh, then quarter on quarter, year on year, they have been largely disappointing. And if I may add that some of the hot midcap software companies like Persistent Systems, and even CoForge, Emphasis, BFL. Uh, they have slightly disappointed I me. Mean, the growth rates are good, but they were growing at 35%. They're now growing at 15-16%. Same with Tata, alexi uh, Any exception in the entire software is KPIT, which drew exceptionally well and I was an absolute top performer in the software industry. Why? They, give, they make software for autonomous cars and EVs. And over there, I think there's a disruption taking place in that particular segment. So those companies are not cutting back on any... Uh, software or technology spends. Okay. So by and large, I think uh, it's been disappointing. But I would say that again, this is transient because once tech spends start to pick up globally, immediately these companies will do well. And I just want to add over here that while the companies' reported numbers were disappointing, as the, as they have been for the last two, three quarters, gradually we are seeing their billing or the order book position improving pretty well. Okay, so it's just a matter of time before these orders start getting converted into revenues. Okay, and as and when that happens, you may have a surprise uh, coming in from the software companies.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. So I guess I'll, I'll ask two ask three key questions here because we did a, a podcast on the IT services sector almost a year ago. Uh, two questions. First is, we thought that the outlook for the IT services sector for the next couple of years would be a little bit done because of economic challenges but also because of base effect because if you know these companies are now very large uh, and we said that the value is going to come from small niche midcap players is
1: that view still the same that's right i'm still very positive on small mid-cap companies and they have really found their place in the sun they've created their niche and you'll be surprised to know that uh, for certain projects where they have a very specific uh, skill set large mncs also are going to them So I would still play software through mid-cap, small-cap software companies. But as of now, even they are feeling the pressure of macroeconomic headwinds. Okay.
0: All right. Fair enough. So let's come back to our original area of focus, the India story. Um, and Let's talk about the auto sector, Uh, great indicator for, you know, consumer discretionary spending and broader, you know, consumer expenditure. How
1: have their results been? Good. (laughs) It's good numbers. I mean, while we've been disappointed with a whole host of sectors, I think by and large, auto did well. And two reasons for it, because uh, first of all, the volumes were strong for the auto industry. And that's again because last four or five years, the auto industry has been undergoing a lot of uh, challenges. And uh, there were regulatory changes. There was a semiconductor supply problem. Uh, So there were problems in terms of volume growth and there was a huge pent-up demand. And last two, three quarters, we've seen that pent-up demand has generally pushed volume growth for these companies also there's a super premiumization trend taking place in the auto industry so the average selling price per vehicle is going up gradually for these companies and the last and the best thing is that the raw material prices steel aluminium they remain pretty much flat to declining so the operating profit margins also increase so i would say that this is really blue sky scenario for a lot of the auto companies Uh, but you know, at some point of time, I think we are going to see their base start to catch up in the next two, three quarters or so. But by and large, I think it's a sector investors can remain overweight in. There were very minimal misses over there and companies like TVS and Bajaj Auto, they really, really surprise investors on the positive side. Okay. All right. Interesting.
0: Um, let's move on to Pharma. Uh, I mean, Pharma, I want to do
1: relatively quickly. We'll spend some time on capital goods. So Pharma, how has things been? Again, pharma, second industry, I would give it uh, which numbers have been exceptionally good. And they have been good for the last two, three quarters. The reason for that <clears throat> is that, first of all, Indian pharma sales, domestic pharma sales, have kept up pretty strong. Then that 10-12% type of uh, value growth, which is driving the pharma industry pretty well. Now, the government has been a little bit slow in terms of uh, putting more and more drugs into price control. And wherever there were price control because of high inflation, price increases have been granted to the pharma companies uh, but the real trigger for improved earnings has been stability in prices in the US generics market uh, last 3-4 years we have seen sharp declines in US generic prices because of intense competition but now that seems to have got leveled off and as and when these companies have been launching new molecules over there they've been getting the benefit of higher revenues as well and again raw material costs have been lowered because basic chemical prices have come down for pharma companies So we are in this super position again for pharma, where top line has done well because of the factors I described, and bottom line margins have gone up because of lower raw material costs. So, So there's there's a uh, there's something I'm trying to understand here. So we we
0: so far we've done FMCG, banking, uh, auto, and IT, and everything here has been driven by the macros to some degree or the other. Pharma, my sense is that doesn't really seem to be the case because you've not mentioned the macros even once here. It's a defensive industry, you know, Varun, That's why. Okay. So,
1: we should completely disregard macroeconomic circumstances when discussing pharma. That's right. But then, as I said, the U.S. generics market, no, does get driven by the competitive intensity, not the macros. Okay. Because healthcare spends you will never compromise on. You know, if you are sick, you have to spend it, whether your your income is up or down. And a lot of the healthcare spends are being funded by the government, and the government is not cutting those expenses because it will be extremely unpopular. So pharma is in a unique position, and it was under stress because of the export markets and tender prices not being under pressure. But that particular thing is gradually improving. And mind you, there are some amazing entrepreneurs in the pharma industry. So they really drive the sales, they do innovative things, uh, You know, go to new markets, new products, better R&D, specialty products, something that they're always trying. To create value for the investors.
0: You know one thing I like about the pharma sector. Even though unfortunately it's a sector that I really don't understand. Nobody understands. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody <laughs> understand Because so. the, you cannot pronounce the products. The yeah. names of the products. Yeah. I think pharma is one of the few sectors in this country. Where India is a global innovation leader. Like if you think about all the sectors we've discussed so far. Um, the only sector that I can with confidence say. Is a global leader in terms of innovation.
1: Is pharma. Innovation on the cost side, not on new new chemical entities. So we innovate a lot when it comes to the processes to reduce the costs uh, and more and more backward integration, and therefore you know uh, lowering the medical healthcare cost for the global economy uh, by setting up world scale plants and then getting them you know getting them uh, audited by the FDA and coming out pretty decent over there. But new chemical entities is still coming from U.S. and Europe, by and large. Okay. All right, that's, but still, you know, if you compare... It's a success if... story of India-like technology, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to our final sector, something that's quite
0: interesting, and I want to spend some time discussing is, you know, uh, capital goods.
1: How have capital goods performed this season? So capital goods, I think, uh, mixed uh, kind of uh, report from the capital goods industry. And uh, one in this sector, one cannot really paint all the companies with one single brush. There have been disappointments. I thought last and growth numbers were slightly disappointing. And they claimed it because of legacy orders. But what I noticed is that a lot of road and uh, irrigation construction companies, although the numbers were okay, their order inflow has been slowing down. Because the government has been slow in releasing orders because of issues with uh, NHAI. And now they're entering into the election season. So there could be a slowdown in orders over there. The street is recognizing that while the numbers may be good, but what really drives the stock prices of capital goods companies is the order inflow. Right. And order inflow has been slightly tepid for many companies. Not across the board, I wouldn't say so. But for many companies, it has been a bit tepid. And also largely, uh, you know, their, um, the gains on account of lower costs are not as much visible over here because these these companies work on very low profit margins as well. And interest cost working capital also plays a key role. So I've just uh we have kind of mixed set of numbers. And if you don't mind me extending, I think there's one industry we have missed out that is cement. So before I get to cement, I have a few more questions on capital goods. So you you pointed out interest in working capital
0: considerations is a key driver. As interest rates come off over the next year. Do
1: you expect this to recover? Do you expect this softness to be temporary? No, I think uh, what is happening also, another very strong trend is that a lot of the uh, engineering, construction companies, they are steadily improving their balance sheets and reducing their debt. So the alpha on account of lower interest rates will not be as much. What really is going to drive the sentiment in these companies is order inflow. Okay. And that's not going to happen until after the election. So I'd be a bit cautious over there as a matter of dating. So another like we talk, let's talk about order inflow for a
0: second, because we've seen the last quarter, there was a lot of data about the private capex cycle
1: sort of revving back up again would that not feed into better order flow through the year it would but the government orders are the ones that are really massive and drive the drive the industry per se and across the board I think even for PSU companies engaged in engineering defense the order flow has been tepid and uh, end of the day you know these companies the best quarter again seasonally weak quarter best quarter is Jan feb March so 60 40 50 percent of their profits come in that particular quarter. Uh, so from that point of view, it's not really an important quarter. But I do track the order inflow and I'm not happy, bad, about, I'm it. happy about it. Yeah. Okay. See, so you want to talk about cement. Let's talk about cement. That's why it's another important industry, which is closely linked to infrastructure. And what I've noticed over there is, again, the bottom line has come through for a lot of these cement companies, purely on account of lower input costs, especially transportation costs, power and fuel. That's come off significantly. And therefore, I would say that the EBITDA per tonne, for the sector has been at near all-time highs but volume growth again disappointing hardly any price growth as well so i don't know how long lower costs of power fuel will drive the earnings for these companies because they're manufacturing and industrial companies end of the day they need the volumes to grow and volume growth has been again sub 10 percent for many companies over there there are a few exceptions no doubt but from that point of view i'm a bit uh, cautious on cement also and it's not that these cement companies are trading at uh, cheap multiples, or that they have very high return on equity. And as we had discussed in our podcast that time, the entry of the Adani Group by acquisition of ACC and Ambuja has shaken up the entire industry. And now, it's like every company over there wants to grow their capacity by 50-100% to in the next 3-5 to years. And that can never be good news from the point of view of investors because it could lead to a glut situation.
0: Okay. So, if I was to consolidate everything you've shared with us today, it seems like this is in a Disappointing earnings season, across the board for most industries earnings have been weak but we still believe this is transient. That's right. And this is almost the impact or a precursor to a slight global economic slowdown
1: that we're seeing reflected in the earnings but in a year or two we expect it to recover. That's right. See there can always be a quarter or two quarters of softness. As an investor, long term investor you have to account for such volatility in earnings, it's nothing new. But at this point of time, unfortunately, stock prices also have gone a bit ahead of themselves. So what typically happens in the earnings season is that you always do a reality check. So this is the company's stock price. This is the quarterly numbers. I'm not, it's not looking that interesting or that encouraging. What if it's trading multiple just now? You, you do that check always. Every analyst, every fund manager will do it. And when you do that uh, profiling, that risk return profiling, the valuation matrix compared to growth rates, you will find that stocks generally are expensive for the moment. No doubt, long-term is great. Long-term earnings growth also be good. But for the time being, I think the stocks are a bit expensive when you compare the growth rates which have been seen in this quarter. Fair enough. And I think that's, uh, that's important for investors to
0: sort of hear. So if you were an investor sitting on cash, what would you do? And if you were an investor
1: sitting on stocks, what would you do? First of all, don't stop your SIPs. We have yeah. to keep on yeah, telling yeah. You addresses. have to keep, the SIPs yeah. have to keep because going. Because those are the ones, you know, will ride you through these. Because I cannot tell when the earnings season will start looking better as well. So don't stop. I think uh, I would say that from, uh, if you are sitting with cash in your portfolio, I'd wait for a correction and look to buy uh, maybe a few weeks or months down the line when valuations are a bit more and more cooled off. point If I'm more or less fully invested, fresh cash flow fresh savings i wouldn't deploy in the market i put them in income funds where if there's a cut in interest rates then certainly you know you'll get uh, maybe slightly better returns over there and uh, try to trim my positions so what as a thumb rule what i do uh, when we spoke about all of those portfolio management podcasts is that on a disappointing number i'd look at the company very closely and recheck my logic of investing in that company And if I feel that in the last several quarters it's been lagging for some reason or the other, then maybe exit the position or just lighten up over there. So this is a great, it's gonna be a, this particular earning season is really a test for the investor that you need to make intelligent changes in your portfolio so that you can gear up for what I think is slightly challenging times over the next few months. All right. I guess on that note, we'll close the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and uh,
0: please do apply the advice to your portfolio. We're confident will add something to your returns. Uh, so, <clears> there's <throat> a direct question. You asked the first part of my question, which I was going to ask, like, should we keep doing the mutual fund So thank you for that. But another question is like, a lot of people are talking about a crash that might occur in March or like end of April, but India's story seems strong. currently Because of some upcoming election in India and strong BJP position in India. Names like Robert Kiyosaki and other big names spoke that a big crash is down the corner and it's super superstitious but 2000, 2008, 16, and now we are in 24. So 24 might be a big crash here like our oh. So Do you have any view on that? Like is there One a second. big correction? Just before we get into that big correction thing, right? India is not in a good economic position primarily because of the BJP. India is in a good economic position because of its people and because of the accumulated efforts of the population over more than 80 years, 80 80 years, years since independence. The fact that we have great entrepreneurs in IT, great entrepreneurs in pharma, great entrepreneurs in banking, startups, that's the reason why we have these companies. The reason that we have you know, strong savings is the savings ethics of the Indian people. The reason we have you know, activity, business activity, employment is because we have a young educated populace. Okay, the government has done a lot. Previous governments have brought in FDI. This government is making infrastructure expenditure. There are digital platforms. The government is part of the story. But let's not position it as the, the economy is doing well because of the BJP. The economy is doing well because of the
1: people. The government's adding something, but we are doing this first. Sorry. Okay. I have a slightly different view over here. That you no know, BJP has done many things like GST, stability in taxes. And overall, government spends have gone up. And they have provided impetus to the private sector. So they have played a critical role. I mean, I've been watching governments for the last 30-40 uh, years. And I've never seen such a proactive government in place. So I don't don't completely agree with your view. And coming to your question, uh, you know, a crash can never be predicted. There has to be a trigger. And that trigger, we don't know what it could be. It could be anything uh, out of the blue, you know, geopolitical events, spike in oil prices, uh, you know, some uh, country or a big company going into liquidation. So we can't predict that. All we can say is that looking at the way the earnings growth are, there is a mild slowdown. And stock prices are ahead of that, you know. So, we need to just be a bit cautious from only that point of view. Okay.
0: But long-term growth stories is
1: Absolutely. Without okay. doubt.
0: That's it from my question. This podcast is produced by Elixir Equities Private Limited, a sub-registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.